we are uh so yeah um, todd todd probably doesn't know why there's a napoleon dynamite reference no. right no <laughs> so, so we're streaming right now um the show oh that's my daughter what is that's, that yes that's my daughter she said are they ready to go live yeah we're live yeah so this is you know this is where we kind of just you know dance around and, and we hang out here. I put my shoes on and my pants on here. No, usually you take them off. I you took your pants off. No, that's at the end of the show, dude. Oh. oh, yes. So at the beginning of the show, you put your pants on, right? Because I got to oh. do my work. <laughs> you got to you got to get your suspenders clipped on. on. You got to get your belt hiked up. I just I just came back from a blackout. So hey, a blackout. Where am I? Yeah, you were in Minneapolis. Your, your time machine is broken, dude. Uh, it's fine. Well, you should have arrived yesterday. I left tomorrow, so it's all good. I, well, I, I guess it works then. <laughs> hey, we got a good guest tonight, I think. Yeah, I've heard of this Todd guy. Yeah, Todd, someone or another. Tucky. Someone or another. <laughs> oh, oh, he's Isn't listening. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm not deaf. From KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Arcade Radio. the show this is arcade radio and episode eight today is wednesday february 1st a different day usually we're on thursdays and the time is now 8 19 so thanks for joining us in the arcadosphere this is your host stacy stevens and i'm joined by the legendary dan reed and mark shields aka time runner and our very special guest mr todd tucky of tnt amusements oh, welcome yeah. to the show todd hey thanks guys <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, some brief introductions. I'm Adam, I'm Matarax on Clove, and I am your host. I'm Dan Reed, nice. and uh, I'm Dan Reed Photo on Clove. I make the Modern Journey cassette interface board, which you can buy at Paradise Arcade Shop. And uh, yeah, I'm not very interesting beyond that. Oh, come on now. Not too much. I think you're interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm Time Runner 88 on the K-Love, timemachinerental.com for all your temporal displacement needs, <laughs> Uncle Rico Van for all your quesadilla needs, and I don't make anything. Oh, oh huh. you should. You should. You make trouble. And then we have our <laughs> scene guest, Mr. Todd Tucky. 
Welcome yes, to the show. Andy. I'm Todd Tucky, uh, probably the largest man here at 280 pounds. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> far behind I'm you. I'm the oldest one, too, at 61 years old. <laughs> well, I can say I've been in the business longer than anybody on the radio now. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show. Normally what we do is a little warm-up, so Dan, why don't you tell us what you're working on? Uh, this week, not too much. I have a little story to tell and maybe a pro tip for everybody out there. So mm. I have been restoring a crawl for a while while um and the last piece of this restore was a control panel overlay now when you look at a control panel from crawl it doesn't look really intimidating but there are these nasty curves and bends and all kinds of stuff in it and i've gone through multiple and it gets expensive because i'm buying these things from rich control panel overlays and they're not cut either so even if you get this thing on straight which is damn near impossible. Yeah. Getting the holes lined up perfectly and then getting that nice, perfect cut is super, super hard to do. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So yeah. you use oh, yeah. a razor blade to... Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to be cutting it because it looks terrible, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to cut a perfect circle. So right. after multiple control panels, I finally gave up and decided to kind of look around and see if there's a better alternative and listen. You guys have to do this. If you're getting a control panel and the holes aren't cut, don't do it yourself. Okay. Bring it to a sign shop. So I brought it to a sign shop like 15 minutes from my house. They did it in an hour. They charged me 20 bucks. They cut all the holes and they put it on perfectly. <laughs> they put, you, oh wait, they, they did the overlay for you? Yeah, they put the overlay on. Nice. They cut every hole perfectly. Huh. It's, line, it's lined up freaking perfect. I'm, I'm like, why have I, you know what I mean? And it's one of those things that you guys can probably relate to this when you're doing a restore and you, you just know you've gone through two of these overlays. You're staring at the third overlay and you're like, I, it, you know, I'm going to screw this one up too. It's intimidating. So it just sits there for months. But uh, I finally decided to bite the bullet and have somebody else do it. Look, you can't be good at everything, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so that's it. Pro awesome. tip. Mark, what do you got? On Sunday, I got a claw machine and three monitors from for free from a operator buddy that I know. Um, I got a clean sweep. Super cool operator. He likes to get rid of stuff. He plans on having a buy one, get five free sale, which Whoa. I will partake in. Nice. Yes. Uh, yesterday, I flew to Minnesota, and I drove my DeLorean back here to Houston. <laughs> That's a 20-hour 20, 20 drive, and I drove straight through. I slept for 70 minutes. Wow. And I decided every time I stop, I have to get gas and people always walk up and they're like, they have to ask some question about the car and stuff. And so they're all, the, the question they always ask, how long did you work on that? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, what, <laughs> did, I like a, did I have a stopwatch when I was working? I don't know. <laughs> so I decided to make up like random times. Like <laughs> I worked on it for three days, you know, all of them being really, really short times, like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> They were very confused. <laughs> In addition to that time machine, I brought back a monitor that I bought, uh, a little pit boss game, like a, like a tabletop, and an asteroids control panel that I restored a long time ago that I forgot about. Huh. And it all That's fit inside to. the DeLorean? It did. I mean, those are pretty small. They all sit, sat in the passenger seat. My wife did not come with, so I got to enjoy this by myself. I listened to old episodes of, of arcade radio. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been murder. They're so old. <laughs> <laughs> old. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm uh I am 
the proud owner of a mousetrap. I've mentioned that on the show a few times, and I got that for my fiance for Christmas, and we we got it home, and I w- I got it down in the basement. So last weekend, I hired movers, uh, local motion, by the way. Thanks for the tip, Mark. No and, problem. And uh, so rather than move games up and down the stairs, which, you know, cause my, I don't have a good walkout in my house. Um, so I hired some movers, three guys showed up for three hours. We moved stuff around. We took every game. Well, we left a couple of projects, right? Tron project and, and a Tubin project, but all the other games that were in my garage, taking up space where I couldn't park anymore were moved. Um, they put them on the truck and then we went to my storage unit in Plymouth, uh, Minnesota and, we emptied that one, and then we brought it all down to a new U-Haul storage unit, which is a little bit closer to us. And so uh, I have a 15-by-10 <laughs> unit now. It's just packed full of games and stuff, you know. Uh, Star Trek, my sprints, my 280 Zap, my Moon Patrol, uh, games that just are not part of the lineup right now are in storage and got the mouse trap downstairs and my pioneer EM pinball. Sweet. Um, and I got that pioneer EM pinball up and running. Um, but there's a couple little quirks. Uh, mouse trap is all cleaned up and bleachified cause it was just dirty. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I'm working on. Oh, uh, but I do need a joystick for my mouse trap. Yeah. Crickets. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Apparently, it's a, a direct knockoff of the of a Bally Midway uh, Pac-Man joystick. So, uh, I know a guy that may or may not have the exact joystick I need in his journey control panel. That uh, that sounds pretty expensive. If you were going to try to wean somebody's um, <laughs> joystick from their journey control, come on, panel. Dan. You know you want to give that. me that joystick. Just give me the joystick. <laughs> I don't know. It looks kind of good there. <laughs> Todd, everyone, everyone gives me grief because it's blue. But Todd, do you have any uh, Exidy joysticks laying around? <laughs> they are so hard to find, and the ones with a big black knob on them. Boy. Well, this one's got a blue one, and uh, they they were known to switch out the different colors. He's uh, thinking of the Venture one, probably those oh, ginormous yeah. ones. Yeah, that one is big. We, we had a couple of those mouse traps pass through, and they were always in really nice shape because nobody ever understood the game. Yeah, you know. That's what we found. It was just uh, the kind of thing that uh, I thought the game was really good, but boy, it was—it just never made it made a cent. You know? It's got—it's got its growing population of uh, fans. So, what are you working on, Todd? Well, right now we're working on a—it's actually a pretty rare video game called Judge Dredd. Ooh, Judge Dredd. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a video game, not the pinball. No, no, this is actually a video game. It uses a hard drive and that has all the video from the movie. And um, it's actually quite nice. We're, we're right now we're experimenting putting the hard drive on a flash card because I hate selling games with hard drives on anymore. Yeah, they um, crash too often. The guy, right, the guys right now as we speak are in the back trying to get this uh, flash card to work because uh, so far no one's done it yet. But um, uh, I'm working on that right now as we speak. Cool. Excellent. But, um, you know, so that's currently the uh, big process. Uh, we're doing a Miss Pac-Man cocktail uh, and a Space Invaders pinball machine, a wide-body Space Invaders. We're shipping out to uh, Canada. So uh, we're working on that. And you know what? Here's something unusual. About every hundred pinball machines, I actually get this request. He does not want us to put in LEDs. Really? Yeah. That's old school. Light bulbs. Well, in my... My experience, uh, like for instance, an EM pinball, 
I prefer to have the lamps. I want it to be like straight out of the 70s. I don't want it to be modernized at all. Like well, the warm, fuzzy look? Yeah. So I guess I must understand that, but I'll tell you, the guys, uh, the, the, the LEDs just look so nice, and uh, I don't know. They have gotten better, too. So you can get LEDs that have a warm glow now that actually look like an incandescent. Yeah, in general, I like incandescents in old machines. I suppose those are going to be hard to find someday. Yes, the, the, those those days are numbered, my man. <laughs> you know, I at first was very against it. Of course, the big cost difference. Gosh, you could buy ten, uh, a, a forty-four or five thirty-five in quantities for like nine cents a piece. Yeah, your cheapest LED that looks good is going to cost you forty-five, fifty cents in quantity. Sure, so it's a huge difference in price, but it sells the game. Unless it's Indiana Jones, then stick with the incandescents. <laughs> we all have our opinions about where the incandescence should go. Oh, dude, I, I made a colossal error with my Indiana Jones pinball. I mean, any game set in the 40s, you got to use incandescent, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah do, not, do not mess around with Indiana Jones and LEDs. And mount a real pistol on the front of it. <laughs> For crying out loud. <laughs> all right, well... Um, uh, Todd, we're gonna. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna request uh, this time that um, you please reconnect to the show because there's something screwy with your audio, and I think the audience is probably like, "What is going on?" But if you could try just reconnecting to us, um, okay. and you, and when you come back, we will just pick up where we left off, and we'll be uh, doing the news at that time. So. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Todd, but he just, you know, this just sounded like, you know, he was from the forties and it was all staticky and we couldn't do the radio. We're not allowed to use those forties voices uh, for at least two or three more episodes. I know. Well, it's a weird thing at work. Some of the guys were using it. And I, w- I thought, are they making fun of me? <laughs> Cause they've been doing that voice all week. <laughs> and someone is like doing the coppers are coming to get me. And just, I was, I was like, okay. Anyway, people, uh, if you listen to the last episode, there's some obnoxious stuff going on in it. Well, we did have him on the show for a little while, so that was nice. Remember back when Todd was on the show? That was that was great. I remember that. That was that oh, was like way back in at like eight thirty three. He's back. I'm here. Welcome back. Here you. Can you hear oh, me? Oh yeah, so good. It's, it's like milk. Yeah, it's silky. <laughs> silky smooth voice. Nice. I thought it was Barry White. Silky smooth. Yeah. So I don't know what happened, but we won't talk about incandescent lights anymore. You made a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is about the time when we listen to the news, huh? It's the arcade news with Don Reed. So we're going to start with something a little bit different. We're going to do some console news right away. And CNET is reporting that there is a new arcade shooters console called the SureShot HD. And the console is tiny. It's about the size of a thick smartphone. It has infrared lights on the front and connects to your television via HDMI. Well, that's Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, this okay. reminds me of what was that thing called a few years ago? They swore up and down it was going to be the greatest thing ever and totally died. That do you, ever, do you ever, Mark, do you ever notice how Dan just like mostly doesn't like the news he reports on? I don't. He's like, I might be in too negative. I'm not, I'm not really, I don't think I really like this. 
I kind of like that <laughs> objective slant that he has. That's what not objective. It's the not objective slant. Like I really, I really hate shooter games. I, I really hate like small things that are technology. I, I don't hate. like. You know what? I don't like that. And I don't like the new Nintendo. So don't get me started on. This. <laughs> oh crap! That's arcade news later down the road. Here. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So, so what is a shooter? I mean, like, what type of games does this thing do? Uh, I don't know. It's like gun games. Gun game, like Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. It's like an NES Zapper. Wireless Big Buck Hunter. Gun. No, Duck Hunt. Big Buck Hunter. No. Big Duck Maybe. Hunter. I remember reading somewhere that these light zapper games don't work with LCD TVs. So I don't know well, that's that that's why this one is special. It's high definition and it does um, a, a, a bunch of different, uh, including Big Buck Hunter style games. Yeah. So uh, I'll have to see it. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm. It's one of those things that I will never buy. Yeah. You know, I'll what let I mean? somebody else buy it, and I'll be like, "Oh, neat," and then walk away. From I would it. actually probably buy a real Buck Hunter. Todd, do you have a console by chance? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe, but I don't. Uh, really? I I still have my old Nintendo eight bit one. Yeah. But I only played, I only had one cartridge, Dr. Mario. Dr. Mario. That man. game is so fun. And but you, you know, t- why, why you wouldn't want a home car? I mean, I had, had a garage full of games for years. So, you know, you didn't really want to come home and play, you know, you know the, uh, the crappier version, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, we're going to do a show on ports at some point um, just to talk about the differences and why we did that as kids. But, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, uh, Dr. And I love that you said Mario because you're from the East Coast, and that's what they say. What, how, what do they say elsewhere? <laughs> we, we say Mario. Mario. Well, it's Mario. In the Midwest here, we say Mario. <laughs> and I think in Texas they might say Mario also. You know, I, I have a rather interesting uh, thing to say about the Mario. Mario Mario's fine. You say Mario. Um, I say Mario. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> a lot of your listeners remember that Nintendo 8-bit where you got one cartridge and it had like a duck hunt in it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, a man uh, up in the mountains, I went up there to uh, pick up a game. And he had a whole bunch of those Nintendo units, those little 8-bit units. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a cartridge the same size as the Duck Hunt, the same cartridges. Mm -hmm. But in them, it had 100 classic games. Nice. It had Missile Command, uh, Miss Pac-Man, the original programs. Weird. And and he had it converted it for coin up. And he was actually one of the first people to be vending multicades. And this would have been 1990. Wow. Before I got married and he had 10 of them out in locations and he figured out a way to wire it to, to take a quarter. And he had all these Nintendo units inside the front of these arcade games. And the people could actually pick out my spec. I mean, the menu was kind of crappy, but he bought the cartridges from overseas. They were being shipped in. So they were able to cram a hundred games into this little cartridge years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I love yeah. that stuff. They make a they make a cartridge now called the EverDrive, and it has a SD card interface, and you can put every Nintendo ROM on it. So, which is kind of cool if you're if you're into doing that. But you know, 
We yeah, don't most know, exchanges are the work of the devil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are. They are. So, I Dan, agree. what's what's next on the news list? Tekken 7. Tekken if you're 7. A fan of Tekken 7, it finally is going to exit the arcade and enter the home market. PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, I think the yeah June second, twenty seventeen is going to be the release date. I, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, how long has this thing been out in the arcades? What a couple years, years actually. Yeah, which is years. You know, a lot of people are complaining that it took so long to move to the home console, and I'm to me, it's like, well, good. It should you know get people out into like the real world. If you really want to play Tekken, you should want to play against somebody in real life, right? Not just over the internet. That's my yeah. opinion. I mean, aren't these fighters a little overdone, too, for the consoles, too? I mean, they, they, honest, let's be honest. They have to be super easy <laughs> to make, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure they're super easy to make. <laughs> well, I mean, in comparison to, like, you know, World of Warcraft or something, I mean, it's pretty much like, a, you know, well, you a make a point. 2D scroller. Like, you're not doing a Call of Duty multiplayer game yeah, that has a storyline, et cetera, et cetera. Here. They, they have some sort of, uh, you know, template. I would think. But, <laughs> That's right. This <laughs> is cookie cutter. These things change the sprites. We got a new fighter right now. There are different combos in the different games. Tekken has different mechanics than say Tushinin or Street Fighter or any of the other fighter games. Street yeah, 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 yeah. And Street Fighter people don't want to play any other games besides Street Fighter. Well, it's not true, but. Generally speaking, if you're a Street Fighter fan, you're a Street Fighter fan. Like, right. for instance, I'm a Karate Champ fan. <laughs> I'm speaking, sorry. Speaking of uh, downer news, <laughs> Masaya Nakamura, the founder of Namco, has died at the ripe old age of 91. Mark, I think Good you luck. had a comment on this. I noticed the media has been calling him the father of Pac-Man. He's more like the grandfather where he hired the father to have Pac-Man. That's right. So if you see that, just take that with a grain of salt because Iwatama. No, it's Iwatani. Twani. How do you I, I call him Iwatani. Iwatano. Iwatani? Is Iwatani? Just watch Pixels and you'll see him. Yeah, he everyone knows he died when Pac-Man bit him. So Toro Iwatani. But yeah, so it's a so flesh wound. Bummer. bummer. Toro bummer. Iwatani is the one that was eating pizza and had the idea that Pac-Man, right? He designed the game, basically was on the development team. Led but the, he's not the guy that died. Led the, yeah. the guy that died was like his boss. Right. So it's very sad. really the father Namco, of Pac-Man is the founder still alive. Of Namco. Yeah, the founder of Namco is... Well, I mean, to be fair, 91 is a good run. Oh, dude, totally. You can't, you know. Yeah, I hope I make that. that. I, I'm, you hit 80 and you're, 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 uh, you're winning. You're doing fine. Like, it's golden yeah, after that. Gravy years afterwards. I, I mean, Bill, Bill Shatner is like 85 now. Yeah. I know. I keep telling him, keep going, Bill. Yeah. I mean, he, he outlived Nimoy. That seems like totally wrong. You guys no. are getting a little too nerdy for me now. What? When you, you don't think some of our listeners watch Star uh, Trek? I have a no. picture of me and my wife and Bill Shatner in our bathroom hanging from the wall. Really? Yeah, so that way, you know, when we're pooping, we can look at him. <laughs> okay, I have a, I have a story. I don't want to. I don't want. It's not a one up. Or okay, you're not Jen, one up me. Are I, you? I know. I'm not. But it's a related story. So I bought a poster with the big three on it and Uhura. So it had you know DeForest Kelly and his bones. And it had uh, Kirk and Spock and Uhura on there. And then um, I didn't have any place to put it, so I hung it in my bathroom. And my friend Deb would come over, and we'd watch. Uh, episodes of Lois and Clark, and I we 
you know, have dinner together. And then when she'd go in the bathroom, she'd go, I'm peeing in the presence of giants. Every time she went in there, she said this, I'm peeing in the presence of giants. And I, I can't, I just, was she, I hope she was texting you when this is no, cause it just, you, she, it was in another was, room, you know, she was, uh-huh. and she I was yelled in, at through the door. Yeah. Or? She, yeah. I, you know, I don't even know if she closed the door. This is strange. This is a very weird story. Dan, what do you think? I don't want to talk about Mercs or I don't Todd, want to talk about Todd. Uh, how much, how much bathroom talk do you do, Todd? Let's go. <laughs> Todd watched Star Trek. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I grew up with that show. I was 11 when the show came on the air. Oh wow. And, uh, you know, I grew up with the show and I wrote, you know, when they're protesting them, canceling the show, of course, you know, it, Thank it, you. but didn't do any good. There were a lot of fans out there back then. They did bring it back. B. Joe Trimble, who led that campaign. Uh, I met her. She's here. In, well, she lived here in Houston. I'm God. I, I don't know if she's still alive, but I think she, have you heard of B. Joe Trimble? Is it, is it B. Joe or is it just Joe? It's B. Joe. Okay. B. J. O. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know all about her. She's awesome. She led the, the big writing campaign and ultimately is, um, credited with, uh, credited somewhat with bringing the franchise back for syndication. Um, and reruns, I think. Yes, you're correct, sir. Nintendo Switch specs revealed. Oh, nice transition, Dan. Yeah, it was good. It was, out of that Star Trek. We're really good at transitions around here. He's like, shut up about Star Trek. So, so let's talk about this because I'm, as a IT guy, I have to admit I've taken a look at this and it's running on NVIDIA hardware. They're not telling you the processor speed or the graphics card, but apparently... The screen only runs at 720p, and when you dock this thing, it does do 1080 at 60 frames per second, which is fine, but I'm having a really hard time thinking that you're going to be able to put a lot of data on you know, on the Switch. It says it's limited to 32 gigs of memory. It seems like a handheld to me. This doesn't this doesn't seem like it's well that was the whole point right so they merged the the mobile uh, development team and the console development team so they could come up with because you know what nintendo has always been really successful at is um their their mobile platforms so the game boys you know the game boy advance sps and all that stuff has been very successful for them so uh the wii was very successful the wii u did not do so well tanked yeah, so I think this is um, them trying to merge the best of both worlds and come up with something that is can be a console but is also a portable platform. So I just wonder about this because as I sit and think about it as somebody that's a consumer and if you try to think from a business standpoint, wouldn't it just be easier to take advantage of Android and iOS and just port all of your games to iPhone or Apple TV or whatever, because there can't be that much money in consoles. There can't be billions. Do you think so? Oh yeah. Yeah. It really depends on the console, but yes. well, I'm talking, you're not going to be taking a big chunk of See, Dan, profit from Sony or Microsoft though at this point. I mean, there's people who don't have a smartphone that still have a console. So I think there's still some value there. Yeah, maybe. So the, the uh, Wii, guys, actually, thoughts on that, really? Well, the, the Wii, the I, Wii is the, one of the best-selling consoles of all time. What right? was the Wii? Well, that was a, a long time ago. That's a different right. era completely at this point. I still, but, I, I stopped at the Wii and at the, at the PlayStation Three. That's it. Yeah, about me too. I have a Wii U, but uh, I don't know. I've played it only a bunch. You know, I mean, ten, wife, fifteen times. Wife has a 3DS, 
Sweet. Yeah. I bought one. I bought one to see porn on it. What? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's really hard to find. And that's the arcade radio news. Yeah. Oh. Jesus. Are, are you sure that's it? Because uh, that was just not really all right. Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Back, back to the cave with with. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Adam, I want you to look at this. It's worthless, but $10 from a vendor in the street. But if I take it and I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless like the Ark. (laughs) Okay. Obscure quotes over. (laughs) Back February in 1980, it was Friday under the sign of Aquarius and the U.S. president was Jimmy Carter. I don't know why Dan has put Democratic here in my notes, but in case you were curious, <laughs> Jimmy Carter. I didn't touch your damn notes. <laughs> oh, is that, was that, could that have been Adam? I don't know. No, that's just to tell you which side he was on. <laughs> well, thanks for clarifying that for, because I know that we have to clarify because sometimes our listeners don't know. That's good. Well, yeah, we want to explain that Jimmy Carter so, was a Democrat. So for the rest candidate. of this information, I'm going to do in the voice of Jimmy Carter. Okay. So in, in that special week of February... People in in the U.S. were listening to Rock With You by Michael Jackson. Oh, that's that's probably the worst Jimmy Carter impression I've ever done. So far, that's probably... I I think you should just keep it going. (laughs) In the U.K. brass and pocket by the Pretenders was in the top five hits. No, just do it normal. Okay, we're just going to go normal. Okay. (laughs) Now, this part disturbs me. Cruising, starring Al Pacino and directed by William Friedkin, who recently passed away, but at the tender age of in the 90s of some kind. Mm -hmm. He he was one of... That was one of his... The most viewed movies at the time. Uh, So, Cruising, I think... uh, I was in junior high, and all these kids were like, so you like Cruising? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, it's a movie. Anyway, I don't know if you've seen Cruising, but if you're like in sixth grade and junior high, you should not say you saw Cruising. Todd, did you see Cruising when it was out? I mean, you would have been about 25. With Al Pacino? Uh, No? No. uh, No. I I know what the movie theme is, but I I didn't see it. I do like Martin Scorsese. Um, I think I think maybe that would be a good like rare movie night type movie, but oddly enough, I I I've sold Martin Scorsese film, uh, sixteen millimeter film. That's my other hobby. <laughs> so uh, I, if you watch our videos, I, I always kind of weasel in the movies. I <laughs> I love that, and, and that that's the best part about uh, being going to a library is that back in the eighties, before you could rent a videotape, you could like go to the library and check out 16 millimeter movies. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, it was really big at its time, but we're now dealing with a real elite collector. Uh, I've sold cartoons to Mel Blanc. He bought a bunch of them from me. I, uh, Xerox copied his checks so people would re- I cashed them but I copied them so people would really know I, I actually dealt with them we sold movies to uh, Quentin Tarantino wow um, uh, over the years of course you know they, they everybody has a different taste in the film but the film collectors is just are like arcade game collectors they're very passionate about having the film print 
And uh, sometimes my YouTube channel shows some of the 60 millimeter films I put up on eBay, what we like to call it greed bay. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's, it's just another facet, but uh, the movie, the film collectors are actually a lot of movie directors. They actually still treasure their film prints, but they have DVDs of everything. But uh, yeah, just the way it is. It's how, uh, how did you get in touch with Mel Blanc? I mean, what is it? You, you sell the one collector? Well, and Well, there used to be a big uh, a movie before the internet. The only way you could buy movies was from one of the collecting magazines. And the biggest one was called The Big Reel. Okay. And it was like a newspaper, like a, a paper you take on the subway, not real big uh, in terms of size, but it was thick. It had like 100 pages. And the pages, you'd put your ad in there, and you'd have films for sale. Uh, you know, you'd uh, uh, print, for instance, cruising on 16 millimeter film. You could probably buy now if the stock, the film stock is low fade, you'd probably pay three, three fifty. Can you imagine paying 300 or 350 dollars for a movie you could buy on DVD in the uh, in the uh, bargain counter for two bucks? Yeah, that's been restored, and yeah, right. Right, but people want the film. They they want to touch the film. They want to handle the film. You know, I was at a antique store a couple weeks ago when we did our Milwaukee run, and there was on the bottom shelf of one of the the um, you know how they have their little sections that people sell stuff. Somebody was selling film trailers. Like there was about forty film trailers that you could just buy for like ten, fifteen bucks a piece. Yeah, so. the, the movie trailers still are big and. Uh, if you go on eBay right now, if any of your listeners type in 1616MM, 16 millimeter, mm-hmm. and hit search, thousands of things are going to come up. And if you just type in 16 millimeter trailer, you can buy a 30 second, 60 second spot or a theatrical trailer, which are two or three minutes. You'll pay anywhere from 10 to $100 for Depending on the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Free cool. on YouTube, yeah, but I, I think these were. I think these were all like mid nineties, uh, early two thousands. There was a X Files trailer. There was like a Lost in Space trailer, which I think is from like ninety eight. A uh, bunch of other stuff, but movies that weren't particularly huge. So the guy probably kept the ones he likes, and then was just trying to sell those. <clears throat> yeah, but, you find that nowadays uh, people don't want to sit for a feature film though. They'll watch cartoons. I have a lot of Three Stooges. Uh, I collect 60-millimeter cartoon prints, the old Technicolor stock. So I, I must have 400 cartoons on film now. <laughs> and I still run them every day. Seven days a week I run them here at TNT Amusements on a big screen. And the people are fascinated because we automated the projectors. They're up in a booth, and the hostesses can run them themselves with the push buttons. And uh, everybody says, wow, look at these projectors. I said, yeah, the those projectors were made in 1985. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, you know, it's just a, it's a dying format. I understand that, but you know, I'm stubborn. I'm 61, and I'm not changing. <laughs> Good for you. I love Good. you. <laughs> and, and and you're on IMDb. Yes, I am. You have a I couple. Am. You have a couple of credits, including King of Kong. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm in that. Uh, the DVD. I understand he's coming out with a Blu-ray of the. Um, of the uh, no, not the King of Kong, the King of Arcades. That's what you mean. Oh, okay, King of Arcades. Okay, yeah, Richie Knuckles. Blu-ray. I'm in more footage. I'm in six minutes of the King of Arcades. But I was on the Kendra Wilkinson show. Uh, they they did a whole piece on me selling games to her husband. Oh. Uh, it, well, it was all fake, of course. And then I was <laughs> uh, Food Network's uh, 
uh, Bubba Barbecue. They only made four episodes, and that was episode two. And um, that was all made up. Uh, who would want a pinball machine made out of a barbecue? Well, they, well, I don't know. <laughs> Ken, wasn't Kendra Wilkinson's husband pretending to like her? I, I mean... <laughs> and to be really honest with you, Kendra Wilkinson is a, a she's a lovely woman. Okay. She's a woman. And she was kind and sweet. And her friend that came with her, she was the, uh, her friend on the show. She was very nice. They're, they're really nice people. God, they're very nice. Nice. No, I, I will never say anything bad about her. And she's very beautiful too. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> hey, I'm going to seg- I'm going to hop boy. back into my little news segment that I'm doing. Mm, mm. Uh, okay. So we, let's see, the fog came out. Uh, American Gigolo came out, and I American guess Gigolo. Jean Le Carré. For you people who read the printed <laughs> word, for anyone that reads, he came out with something called Smiley's People, which apparently has not been made into a movie. So who cares, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a spy novel. <laughs> ah, okay, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I've read it. It's, it's great. Good. Good. Okay, Dan, Todd, have you read? The whatever this is, no. Smiley's people. No, no. yeah, no, I never okay. did. Never heard of it. Uh, uh, do you read many novels? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I like Stephen King. Um, uh, I I have read the uh, uh, the series uh, in Rome. Uh, oh gosh, right out of my head. The the Dan uh, the mysteries. Oh gosh, this oh, is what the Dan Brown ones. Yes. Dan Brown, yes. I like Dan Brown a lot. Of course, I always have loved Agatha Christie. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, you know what? When do you have time to read? I'm, I'm a TNT between 10 and 14 hours a day. We are so busy, so there's no time. I mean, but, during, oh. maybe during a cap kit? or <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Oh, cap kits. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, what physical labor, Todd, are you still doing there? Because you have such good assistance. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I can do stuff in a, in a pinch. Sometimes I'm doing play fields and cap kits. Uh, I mean, I, you know, changing flybacks. Uh, we jump in on almost anything because if, if you have to, if you have a deadline and somebody's like having a stroke, you know, and they have a party or whatever. Like today we had to, we had to get the shuffle alley to this fella's house because he was having a party tonight and we were on schedule, but, uh, you know, they, they, people get really concerned. Of course, once the deadline's done, everything's delivered, everybody's happy, but you know, it's Christmas is always a mess. Mm. No, I remember we used to stay, you know, actually stay overnight. We'd work 24 hours straight through and then go home and sleep for a few hours and come back. Those days are over now, but you know we're still very busy. Yeah, you know, uh, but you know, it's, you, you got deadlines. You got to do stuff. So. <sighs> so, what else was happening in 1980, Mark? Okay, so I have two. La- I have two segments. I'm going to reverse them in the order that they're on my on my notes. Uh, oh. The first one is the vids we were playing back then. Apparently, we were playing Crazy Balloon. It's mm. a Tayeto. Tayeto. Uh, golf on Atari 2600. I never Terrible. played that. I it's never one of those games that. that your aunt gives you, and you're like, Terrible. oh, thanks. <laughs> you're like, dude, this isn't River Raid. <laughs> This is a terrible aunt. <laughs> it's, it's like getting socks for Christmas. Oh, golf. Can you imagine? It's so boring on TV. Oh, God, with those terrible graphics. Oh. 
it's bringing this me not, pain, boys. This does not look like Robert Palmer. At oh wait, no, not Robert Palmer. That's the musician. <laughs> I'm sorry. The other Palmer, you know, Arnold. Arnold. Yes, yes. The one that a drink is named after. I was like, there are no ladies with black eye makeup here. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but you could maybe have your grandpa whisper, like Adam is up to to, to the green. He's oh, <laughs> stories, Adam. I'm not sure about. <laughs> Next, Space Firebird. Uh, is an arcade game that um, apparently in Japan, Nintendo, and here in the United States, Sega came out with. That's crazy to think about. Do you remember Space Firebird, Todd? Uh, well, actually, I do. And I was just actually trying. I have a very extensive video about that up on YouTube. I'm going to tell your listeners the number. Okay, um, great. Uh, we got in a rare upright and a cabaret. Wow. And, uh, they just don't turn up. I'm going to give you the number. I'm just trying to get it up. On were they screen. were they Sega or JP or, or Nintendo? They were Sega. They were okay. Sega. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it was, uh, it's if, if any listeners want to listen and look for the video, it's uh, video eleven fifty one one five zero. Okay. Just type that in your search window in TNT Amusements, and we'll we'll post the links. Uh, and when we post the the show as well on on YouTube, and then um, we also for our listeners on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud, um, put links in there too. So we'll make sure to reference that. Yeah, that's nice. I do I do a little history of the game and the fact that it was licensed in two different directions. Yeah, and uh, it, it's kind of neat because uh, uh, a lot of people have never even heard of the game. Now, here's the funny thing in the video you're seeing. I show the mini one, but the upright was not functioning. Well, somebody just ordered the upright. So I'll be doing the upright video of Space Firebird soon. Cool. cool. So, and when you say mini, do you mean like a cabaret? It's a cabaret one, yes. It's a it, smaller version. Different controls, too. The hmm. cabaret has a joystick, a, a long one, sort of like the same length of the joystick of Venture. Okay. And, oh, wow. And a fire button, and then... And a whole separate button below it for the shields. Very odd layout. But the upright, there's four buttons, the left and right on one side, and then the fire and shield on the other. So it, just a different layout. And uh, Interesting. It, 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 the cabaret is harder to play. It's much harder to play with that joystick. The buttons are, make it so much better. So mm. I love any game with a shield button. Corv, <laughs> what about yeah, that? Just I, had that. Just had a shield that came on when you'd fire, and the shield would disappear. Yeah, whenever my wife's on the on the war path, I need a shield button to shield. <laughs> <laughs> what else were we playing, Mark? Uh, uh, we were also playing Tank Battalion, which uh, was uh, in the arcade Vic Twenty, the V sixty eight thousand, and a Vic Twenty now by Namco. Mm-hmm. I have Buda a Vic Twenty. I think I have this game. Do you? Yeah. I'd for uh, sure have a Vic-20. You know what? I have to be honest with you. The Vic-20, we called that the poor people's Commodore 64. You know what? It was, but it came out before <laughs> the, the 64, and it was uh, schlepped by Mr. William Shatner. Thank you very much. He did, huh. he did the I'm commercials sorry. for it. Here we go. Because <laughs> it was not only a computer, I can't but get it was a gaming system. <laughs> I'm going to get a beer. You guys let me know when you're done with the Star Trek. <laughs> We're getting close. Uh the other game, Voodoo Castle, an Apple II Plus, Commodore Pet, TRS-80, VIC-20, TI-994A, which, by the way, I was a TI-994A guy. I, I programmed in there. I actually programmed a BBS on the 4A. Wow. That's impressive. And uh, I sold it to, like, six guys. 
<laughs> oh, I'm on I'm on uh, Wikipedia. If you look up T I B B S, your name. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah, feel free to go out there and deface that page if anybody's listening. <laughs> I programmed on the Vic Twenty. I programmed Mary had a little lamb, and and I went did it did it did it. That was it. Oh, that was the whole sorry. thing. Yep. You never finished that. No, that was my. That was it. I finished it. It took me like <laughs> three hours to type in the code. I didn't have anything to save it to, so I turned it off, and that was gone. Nice. Yeah. And so uh, until Dan gets back, I, uh, let's talk about the top 10 songs uh, back here. I, I'm well, assuming because he likes this part. February 1980. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for him. So so number 10 back back at this time in 1980. Yeah. Excuse me. I've been drinking a lot of beer. Um, <laughs> Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Don't do me like that. And don't do me like that. Oh, yeah, listen. Do don't do me like that. <laughs> yeah. Love me some Tom Petty. <laughs> so I'm giving each of you, and Todd, you are included, five seconds to sing the song, and then 15 seconds to tell me your nostalgic memory about Whoa. that song. So give me your nostalgic memory. Whoever sang that was that you, Dan? That's Dan, the man. I have no nostalgic memory of "Don't Do Me Like That." But you I never went lot. to like a school dance. Uh, uh, yeah, but I don't think uh, "Don't Do Me Like That" was <laughs> part of the playlist. <laughs> don't do me like <laughs> something for your math teacher, Mr. Brown. I, I was uh, eight in 1980, so uh, yeah. Okay, so I wasn't doing any school dances with Mr. Tom Petty at that I time. See. But I, I am I am a fan of Mr. Tom Petty. <laughs> yes. Number nine, I like his work on King of the Hill. Number nine, Terry Desario. Yes, I'm ready, uh, and I'll I'll sing a little bit of that. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm just making that up. I don't know what that song sounds like. <laughs> Let's move to number eight, Eagles, The Long Run. Anybody, Todd? Greatest anyone? band ever. <laughs> I, I haven't cared for the song. I don't, I don't have any good memories of that. So How about how about let's go to seven, Fleetwood Mac, Sarah. If you ever went out with somebody named Sarah, they would always point out, hey, there's a song. Drowning in the sea of love where everyone would love to drown. Nobody? Okay. But now it's gone. It doesn't matter what for. I know that song. Sarah's a great song. It reminds me. uh, Do you know what it's about, though? I only remember the part. Sarah. Yeah. Right. Yep. You know, but uh, a a decent song. I remember getting into Fleetwood Mac just after high school. I was like, for some reason, I just really liked the band after high school. It doesn't coincide with the year of the song or anything, but I'm a huge Stevie Nicks fan. I've seen her in concert. I've seen Fleetwood Mac four times. So you just like Rhiannon. Let me, let me just tell you this awkward story. Uh, I was not into Fleetwood Mac until I was, I was, t- this is going to be like people like the police are going to hear the story and going shields. We, we need, we're going to need to talk to you. <laughs> I was a 25. I was a substitute teacher. And my friend from high school's little sister, Sarah was 18 and a senior in high school, my old high school. Anyway. So one thing led to another and, and I like this song. Okay. 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 Number, number Wait, you, you said my stories are weird and creepy. <laughs> Dude, it was love, okay? Shut up. <laughs> Number six, Rupert Holmes' Escape apparently has nothing to do with Journey. The Pina Colada song? If you uh, like Pina Coladas. And getting caught in the rain. Come oh, on, yeah. everyone knows that song. Of course. Yeah. When does he say escape? Well, come with me come, and come escape. With, come with me and oh, write to me and escape. That's how he winds it up, I see. Yeah, and the whole point of that song is he's cheating on his wife and puts a personal with his ad. Wife. With his wife, twist. Well, and yeah, and at the end, twist. Yeah, and then they, they see each other in the bar and they're like, oh, it was you the whole time. 
Nice. But like she wouldn't have just walked up and clocked him. Right. Okay, number five was Queen's crazy little thing called love. Crazy Anybody? little thing called love. Con- controversial statement here, but this is probably Queen's best song. Yeah, it's, it's, got, a little, it's got a little Elvis in it that I like. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, and it's funny, we were just talking about Martin Scorsese. What about Smokey Robinson happened to have a song called Cruisin' as well? Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? I'm sure that was not the theme song to the movie. (laughs) When we're cruising together. I don't even know how to sing that song. I just probably just, like, ate the two or three live listeners just hung up. And and, and believe it or not, we're going up in the top ten. Like, that was number four. Number three. But Smokey. Who's Smokey? Yes, Smokey, like a, like a beef jerky stick. Kenny Rogers, Coward of the Country was number three. County. Coward, Coward of the, of the county. country. Okay, what's his country? It's supposed to be county? County. It's county. Oh, it does say county. Sorry, some, I have like a, a piece of smooch. Oh, there's like some schmutz on my TV. They made like a uh, Hallmark Channel movie about this song. I remember back in the 80s, and I even remember back in the 80s when I was like 10 years old, I was still rolling my eyes at the TV being like, oh my God. It's like my... Okay. So now, th- so now we're at number two, and I definitely think I'm gonna I want to get some Todd feedback. Captain Tennille's <laughs> "Do That to Me One More Time." Do that to me. Come on, Todd. Do that to me one more time. <laughs> uh, I, I should I should do a, a um, you know a karaoke of that. That'll get everybody off the air. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and number one, Michael Jackson's. Rock with you. Yeah, I want to rock with you all night. Dance you like the, in two days. Like little MJ. Yeah. Oh, that's a good song. That's a good album, Off the Wall. A great awesome. album. Yeah. So, we, uh, I, I'm surprised. I mean, a lot of stuff was happening in 1980, even though there was no internets. <laughs> People were going to arcades. They were like hanging out together. And, think, know, like, think about this, gents. Number one, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Number three, Kenny Rogers, uh-huh. number five, Queen, number six, Rupert Holmes, right? Followed by the Eagles and Terry DeSario and Tom Petty, all in the top ten. And Terry so DeSario, yeah, that's so diverse. That went on for many years in the eighties, even know, even into the late eighties. I mean, it, I think eighty nine was a turning point. We got a lot of dance music and things started to shift, and then mid nineties we hit you know grunge and alternative went big. Everything went to hell in a handbasket. I'm uh, I'm really excited. I just want to say this: that Todd is our guest tonight. Me I mean, too. We Todd. really need to point out the fact that this guy is pretty much the de facto restoration uh, operator. You name it, this guy has done it, touched it, sold it. I, I mean, this yeah. Just a walking encyclopedia of arcade stuff, so it's great that he's on this show. This is the part of the show where we introduce him, Mr. Todd Tucky. Thank goodness. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. We um, are super glad to have you on the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So your about page at TNT Amusement has a great bio about you and how you got started in, our, in the arcade business. Can you expand uh-huh. on that a little and tell us kind of the story in your own words about your game route, um, your you know your two arcade um, you know halls that you had in the in the movies and at Temple University, all that back in 1979. Well, technically, I should start, and I don't have this on the website. At- 
and I don't think anybody's actually heard this before. I actually got involved with arcade pinball machines. Um, I'm going to say when I was uh, uh, 14, 15 years old, uh, my best friend, Scott, who's passed away now, and I bought some games from a company called the Rick Hoffman Vending Company. And we, we did it because we were both into mechanical stuff. And I'm going to say this is 15, so I would have been, this would have been 1970. And uh, I had bought my first projector, 16 millimeter, actually, in, in, in 1969. So we were kind of uh, playing around with these games. And it, it was an unusual hobby, I will say. What, we were just toying with them. But when we turned 18 years old, Scott and I ended up buying out Rick Hoffman Vending. And we were, he gave us pretty much all, and they were all mechanical games. And there were a few arcade games. I remember Super Shifter was one of the games um, that was an allied leisure machine where they had a spinning disc inside and you tried to keep the car on the road. But here's an unusual thing. Uh, we got all the games from his route. Uh, we paid him. Uh, I think it was $5,000. And that's a lot of money when you're 18 and 19, 20 years old. I'll tell you, yeah. that was a lot of cash. But the two of us pulled it together. And um, uh, that's and we started cleaning them up and selling them from putting ads in the newspaper because there was no other way to sell them. And it was a little tiny business. We had a bunch of games we couldn't get working, and there was lots and lots of parts. He, he had apparently this guy had junked some pinball machines, and we had play fields and not the whole machine. So there was a bunch of stuff. But we did pretty well with it. Now, here's the neatest thing of all. Scott kept one of the games all those years in his garage. And then when he moved to a new house, he moved it there called Stunt Pilot, Midway's Stunt Pilot, a fantastic three-dimensional game using black light and background. And when Scott passed away, uh, his wife uh, uh, said, you know, I really want to try to move this game out now. And I was able to sell it. Uh, I did a video on it. There's a YouTube video on Stunt Pilot. Still work. Can you imagine after all those years in his basement, 30 years, I guess, 40 years. And um, the man that bought it uh, worked for me at the movie theater and game room at Temple University. <laughs> so it, it, I still know where the machine is, and he's treasuring it now. That's awesome. So, uh, it was really neat. So I actually physically started long before um, I list the um, the year, the starting year, 1979. We were actually in this in 1970. But I don't count it because it wasn't a true like business relationship. It was more of a hobby kind of thing. Well, and, well and you weren't TNT. You weren't TNT. Well, we're getting along. We're getting along. I was. I was TNT projection service. It was my film business. So it was a different TNT. So uh, it was pretty neat. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we're getting feedback. But um, so you ended up at the end of well, we'll go on to tell us a little bit about uh, Temple and what you did there in the movie, the movie um, room and all that. Yeah, the uh, Temple University. I, I went to Temple from 1973 to 77. I graduated. As a matter of fact, my major was filmmaking. And uh, obviously, it, it spilled over now in the videos I'm putting up on YouTube. Uh, we just posted our tw uh, 1,224 videos, or 34 maybe it is. I'm not sure, but a lot of videos. But uh, in my class was Bob Saget. Bob Saget and I were the only two 
um, students in the class of 17 that got A minuses. <laughs> uh, the teacher refused to give A's out. He announced that nobody gets an A in my class. Wow. You can get his A minus. But uh, we had a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, I met up with Bob a couple of years ago uh, here in Philadelphia. So it was a neat to hang out with him again. But uh, he went on to make the fortune and I didn't. But he got an <laughs> idea from me for America's Funniest Videos. Well, I used to assemble pieces of film from the movie theater uh, in my film collecting hobby. I would uh, I made a show called Movie Memories, which ran about eight hours, <laughs> and it was bits and pieces from all these different films that I would splice together in different order. For instance, I had a G-rated uh, Deep Throat. it ran eight minutes long movie was 65 minutes and i had to edit it down to eight minutes so that's awesome and that one of the pieces of the film of the puzzle and uh uh he used to come and watch him and laugh and laugh and laugh and i I always wondered whether he got the idea you know let's do something with bloopers because i used to think that a lot of them i found were bloopers actual blooper reels that were made in your old days and I put them together with little comedies and, you know, it was, it was popular at the student activity center. We used to run them every day, five days a week. And then uh, they gave me the job of running the movie theaters. After I graduated, they offered me a full-time position. So I took it. So I ran my game business. Um, I started working full-time for Temple in, in 78. And then in 1979, I bought my first video game, because I wanted to get into vending them. My uncle had a boat dock in Tennessee, and I bought him games, and he had them down in his game room down there, but they weren't mine. They were his. My first purchase was Sega Gremlins uh, Duel game. They had a great system called D-U-A-L, and it would combine two games in one cabinet, and it was Invinso and Head-On 2. <laughs> that was my first purchase, a color you know, full full color game in 1979. I still have that very same game, and uh, uh, I, I haven't restored it yet. It's still in the warehouse, awaiting a restoration. But uh, then I started buying uh, used pinball machines. My first used pinball machine was in the, was a Bobby Orr Power Play, and I bought that in 1980. So my first brand new pinball machine was Williams Trizone. It was on a closeout because Gorgar came out. Nobody wanted a non-talking game anymore. So I got the Trizone for $1,299, brand new in the box. Wow. Uh, Gorgar was uh, $1,599. So it wasn't that much more money, but, you know, I, I saved 300 Of course, I should have bought the Gorgar. But <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, um, did you, were you running your own routes then? Were you, were oh, you, yeah. You were in business for yourself at that point. Oh, yeah, yes. I ran the Temple Movie Theater and the game rooms there, but they had an outside vendor. The outside vendor at the time was a big company called ARA. They're still in business today, but they got out of the game business years ago. As a matter of fact, oddly enough, I bought all the ARA games from the Philadelphia company when they closed their arcade part of the business. They sold me, I think it was 68 games. I bought all the games they had left from their route. They wanted to, they were done. They just wanted to do vending. And um, they were giving Temple University an incredible cut. The cut was uh, 
they got 38%. So they were giving, uh, what was that? That would have been 30, 62% Temple University got from the game room. And ARA wow. only got 38. So every 100 bucks the games made, ARA would only get $38. It was just this crappy cut. Yeah. But yeah. that's the deal that Temple had with them. And um, so I started buying my games and vending them and working at Temple at the same time. I would find these little ice cream stores or little stores, little delis. But the big vendors, were they, they could walk in and offer a, a gift to the location. Say, look, I'll give you a thousand bucks. I'm going to put my games in here. You can keep the thousand bucks. Well, I didn't have that kind of money to do that. So, you know, I would not be able to compete with a lot of these vendors that strolled in there and offered a huge gift or, you know, every few months. But, you know, everybody got in the business. There were school teachers that were buying, they were cashing out their uh, their funds or, or their retirement and buying like a Frogger and a Zaxxon and a Stargate. And, and the distributors were charging them like full, not only full price, but adding money to them. So they would get like 10,000 bucks for three arcade games. They would deliver them to a store for the teacher. And the teacher, the first two or three weeks was making big bucks. Wow. Each machine was doing 200 a week, 225. But then the store owner would call the guy up and say, you know, the guy down the street just got a, a, a frogger. And uh, if you can't bring me a frogger, I'm going to throw all your games out, out in the store on the, on the curb, but I'm going to get somebody <laughs> else in here. They threatened all the time. That's ruthless. Horrible, horrible, horrible. It was, Oh, it was awful. They, you know, they say, well, you know, I got another guy. He, he's going to give me this and that. And I, I lost a lot of accounts because I just wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to just keep buying and buying and buying. And, and, you know, you only made them happy until the next game came out. And then the kids would all flock to that store and play that game. And the game, how come I don't have one of those? I remember when that stupid Gottlieb Mach 3 came out. Oh yeah, Mach three. That was our. That I had a partner at that point in eighty two, eighty three. I think is when, and it, it I God, it was forty nine hundred dollars or something. And the first week, it grossed. It grossed a hundred and ten dollars. That's terrible. Wow. I got fit. We got fifty five dollars out of this machine. It was like we couldn't believe our eyes. The kids could care less about it. They wanted to play Dragon's Lair, and you couldn't buy them because they couldn't. I guess they couldn't make them fast enough at the time. But it was it was such a, a, a horror stories. I can I probably could tell you that ninety percent of the equipment I bought never made its money back. Wow, it's hard to tell too. I suppose you can't tell from flyers and the way that everything was coming at you fast and furious. You had to make fast choices on these games. Well, the closeouts, the very first closeout, I think, in in game uh, pricing and stuff, was Red Alert, made by GDI. I couldn't believe my eyes. They were twenty four ninety nine to buy, and I walked into the distributor this one day, Eastern Distributing, real nice people there, too. And he says, Todd, he says, we got a closeout. And I said, what, what's a closeout? And he says, yep, they, they, they need the funds to bring out their new game which I think was called Slither, and I don't think it ever got released. And I said, I said well, how much is it? It's twelve ninety nine. You can you can have a brand new Red Alert. I said, I couldn't believe my ears. So I, I bought it because it was like half the price of all these arcade games. Sure. Uh, I think I maybe made my money back on that. I remember Lock and Chase was next to go. That they closed Lock and Chases out for twelve ninety nine. 
And then Atari jumped in on the bandwagon. Tempest, twelve ninety nine, brand new in the box. <laughs> so we've heard from we've heard from other operators that uh, they were making money hand over fist. Was it just because it was Ms. Pac Man, or was it well, got every, the, every go ahead. you know you had to have like a steak shop that was open, you know, twenty hours a day, and and those locations really did well. Yeah. But I couldn't get those locations, but those, those vendors were paying, you know, they were giving them gifts and freebies and all yeah. kinds of stuff. You really had to bend over backwards. It's sort of like now, if you want to make money with a crane machine, you really have to know how to stack the crane, put the right stuff in, or no, people are just going to walk right by it. You really had to know your business and you really had to work it. And remember, I was working a full-time job at Temple and... I was running my film business full time. I was shipping all over the world with these movies. And then I was doing the games. So I was I had my hands in all these different my thumbs in all these different pies, I should say. <laughs> so it was rather it was it was pretty busy though. But uh I don't regret any of it, you know, but uh, you know, I can tell you that a lot of people lost their shirts. The school teachers did. Uh, a lot of those games, they never got their money back, and they ended up having them in their garage, and they lost their their investments because, of course, you know, they they couldn't find a new location to put Frogger. You know, after a year and a half, nobody wanted Frogger; they wanted the next new one. They don't, you know, they said we already had that; we don't want that. Yeah. So, what did they do? Did they just flip them then on their own? Or I, I remember I, hearing a story about you. Isn't that true that you ended up with a bunch of video games for sale as well? Like, well, that's uh, that's how I realized my partner and I were were hovering in really bad shape. It was it was August of nineteen eighty four, August of nineteen eighty four, and things were grim. The games were making nothing, and Fran said, "What are we going to do? We got all these games, and we're making nothing." I said, "Well, let's try to sell some of them." And I lived on a very major road um, called um, Vree Road in Northeast Philadelphia. Lots of people driving by all day long. And I said, let's see if we can sell them from my driveway. I had a very long driveway. And I rolled a couple games out to the curb and I put a big for sale sign on them. And people stopped constantly. So I have a, actually a couple slides up. If you go to my Pimble Expo video, I have a I have a um, I did a lecture there about my early beginnings, and I have a I, my father. Thank goodness he took two slides showing some fifty sixty machines in my driveway lined up on both sides, and at night during the week I'd cover them with tarps. They stayed outside. <laughs> And I ran what extension did, cords from the house. What did the neighbors think of that? Well, I, I had, I, not only did I have nice neighbors, we were the hangout for all the kids in the neighborhood, and we had tall, tall bushes, but we restricted the sales to Friday afternoon and evening up to like 7, all day Saturday and all day Sunday. I had three days a week, and I sold games out of the driveway right up until the first or second week of December. And we, I remember out there playing and with gloves, showing people games and with gloves on. We ran cords out. We, the electric company actually called the house. They, they called my father. Who, they were questioning why the electric bill was high. They said they, wanted, they thought we may have had something 
uh, they, they, because the electric bill had changed so much in those three or four months we were running the games because we had them on all day, all the machines from all different sockets in the house. <laughs> I don't know anybody who does no, no, that. We know, yeah, so he told him, no, no, we know what the electric draw is. That's why it's $100 more a month all suddenly. So, but it, it really worked out fine. I ended up selling over 400 machines out of my driveway in that three-and-a-half, four-month period. Wow. And um, it was wonderful. Vendors were dropping off games. I'll give you prices. The game worked and it was black and white. I paid $25 for it. <laughs> Star Castle, Rip Off, Space Invaders. If it was color, I paid $100. Uh, Missile Command, Tempest, uh, Sinistar, Defender, 100 bucks each if they were color and they worked. They had to work. So vendors would pull up and they'd have a, a, a truck full, like they'd have, you know, eight games on the truck unloaded. I pay them the cash. They wanted to get them out of their warehouse. They were paying all this money to store them. So I started selling games. I actually had uh, business cards made. Uh, arcade video games, $100 and up. And most of the black and white games were $100. I had some that were 100 Like Space Invaders was 100 but Deluxe Space Invaders was 100 and a quarter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Asteroids was 100 uh, the funny thing is, is I stepped, started keeping crude sales uh, track of the sales with Rolodex cards back then, and I still have some of my customers on file that only paid $100 for an Asteroids or $100 for a ripoff. But um, that was the video game. <laughs> so to our listeners. Yeah, for a ripoff. <laughs> yeah, not, it was an actual video game, yeah. <laughs> but it was really neat. Crash, I remember that was 100 and uh uh, they were they were thrilled because these games were dead. Now here's the best part: uh, Eastern Music still had crated uh, Sinistars, Donkey Kong Juniors, Zaxons. I paid them two hundred bucks a piece. They were thrilled, thrilled in the box. They had one Omega race left. It was one hundred and fifty dollars. That's one of but, my favorites. But can you believe in 1984 it was ruined? The board was ruined. Bally had bought this crapo battery. Oh. Just four years, that battery ruined the logic board. So I opened up this beautiful brand new Mega Race, unfixable. So we ended up junking it. It was awful. But back then, I mean, it's had no value. Yeah. You know, uh, Eliminator, a vector game Eliminator Sega. I bought 10 of them, brand new from Eastern Music. They were a hundred and a quarter a piece. Wow. Something, a vector game, but nobody it, wanted it. Does that one have a GO8 in it also? Yes, GO8. Uh, I, they had two cockpit ones, or sit, uh, uh, cocktails, I mean, four-player cocktails. But they were useless. They wouldn't go through a door. They were too wide. You couldn't get them through a single door. Nobody, it wouldn't fit. For some so of they, our listeners that don't know, the GO8 is a notorious <laughs> Sega monitor, uh, XY monitor, vector monitor, that is quite difficult to keep running. It's <laughs> <laughs> another statement. What a game. You know, when that game, when Space Fury, Eliminator came out first, but nobody bought it. But Space Fury was the big one. And I remember coming back to Eastern, and there was a whole bunch of them that were sent back. Every monitor had blown up, and Sega quickly developed this board, the safety board, that the inputs from the logic board plugged into, and then that plugged into the monitor. The filter board? 
Yes, the filter board. Incidentally, Without that filter board, you will blow up the monitor. Uh, I'm going to do a little plug here for Brian at Paradise Arcade. He just made uh, reproduction versions of that filter board, believe it or not, because he didn't have one and um, couldn't find one. So he actually created one and then has got some in stock at Paradise Arcade in Minnesota, which is well, kind of weird. That's really neat because... That filter board, until he made them, they were at zero available. You couldn't get that anywhere. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> so, Todd, can you tell us a little bit how TNT Amusements came to be in its current form? Like, how, when did you decide you needed to hire some people on? When well, did business start picking up? What's it like well, now? Well, Kurt uh, had worked for me part-time even when I had Fran as a partner, but we, he was being paid cash at the time. That was in 83. Wow. So Kurt's been with me now, uh, you know, as you, you can imagine, 34 years. Uh, I became a full, a full time business. I bought my partner out in 1985 and, um, in January, he had had enough of it. He was a retired professor at Temple university and, uh, he was done. And I bought him out, and he he sold out. It was the perfect time because we were now cooking. Because December is when we closed our driveway arcade sales, and we moved inside and started selling the games as a regular business uh, and registered and all that. And that's when he wanted to bail. So, uh, and I started hiring regular employees, I guess, in 85, 86. And, uh, you know, became a, a, a more legitimate operation with actual employees that got a pension plan and a medical plan and uh um uh and then we grew from there so we, right now we have we hover around 10 full-timers and about 10 or uh, 12 part-timers and then we have our party girls the girls that run the parties we we have usually four or five a stable of them uh some have been with me for years and um uh, so, and, and, and the guys get along real well. I, people watch the videos, they can see that we, we kind of function pretty well together. Um, and, uh, you know, after all these years, um, I've actually had people leave to get other jobs and then they end up coming back because we're kind of laid back here. Uh, it, you know, uh, except when somebody's screaming, they want their game or else. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So that's good. You have a, uh, yeah, I've watched a, a number of your videos and your staff uh, are all very knowledgeable and um, you have them sort of specialized. So they all do certain things, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. You had to kind of do that. Like Wallace works on cabinets. He's great with the cabinets and um, uh, uh, Frank loves working on electronics along with Chris. Uh, Chris has been with me for 20 years, but he refuses to be on camera. So you have never seen him on, you've never seen him. You may have seen the back of his head at some point, but, uh, and Linda, who's my secretary, she refuses to be on camera. So, uh, so, so those two, you'll never see. And remember when we were doing the reality show, we were trying to do previews and they asked us to, to do different scenarios. And I hired an actress to be my secretary. <laughs> they, they wanted an, an, an actress with they specified big boobs. <laughs> nice. And, and, and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Alexia came along and she was perfect. And, 
uh, and and she worked great and she adapted because she's an actress. I said, look, uh, we had this Rolodex card file system and, and she came up with some great lines and and we kind of ad libbed it and she worked well. If the show sold, she would be our actress in the show. It wasn't what we wanted. I really wanted a real reality show. As a matter of fact, I have two, I have a full episode up, um, of the original show that's all true where we rebuilt this sea wolf for this customer. <laughs> and, uh, we really did and it shows how we did it. And it was all for him and nothing was really written for the show. We kind of ad libbed as we went. It wasn't like it was a hidden camera, but it was all true, but they said it wasn't, it wasn't dramatic enough. They needed screaming. They needed yelling. Yeah. They needed cursing. They needed big boobs. <laughs> you know, so, so we did different scenarios and I wasn't comfortable with it, but I figured, well, if we can sell the show, you know, we can always try to go back into a more of a history channel format, but you know, it still didn't sell. So it didn't even matter. <laughs> how many, uh, how many restorations do you think TNT amusements has done now? Well, I can tell you, uh, uh, I can give you a, a, a pretty rough guess. We've sold over 26,000 machines now. The thing about that is a lot of them, not a lot of them, but I'm going to say, gosh, maybe a, uh, a seventh of them or a sixth of them, somewhere around there, were brand new. Like I, I sold 35 Simpsons pinball parties, okay? Brand new. So, uh, you know, uh, it I sold uh, um, 200 bubbler jukeboxes. Uh, oh, cool. And so that kind of, the brand new you don't restore. The um, used machines, uh, originally we weren't, when we were selling Miss Pac-Mans for $350, I've now sold over 550 Miss Pac-Man. But when we were selling them back then, shopping them like we are now, they were basically changing the light bulb on the top, wiping the screen off, and making sure that the uh, the bottom of the cabinet wasn't going to dig out the guy's house, you know. <laughs> so, so, but now things have changed. In, in the last, I guess, uh, seven or eight years, we've kind of had to change tactics. We had to raise the prices, but you know, it, people want you know nice equipment in their house. They don't want stuff that's got gouges and dings and things like that on them. And that's when we came along with starting to paint them, you know, doing the the regular full restoration. I mean, we're not walking on water, but uh, I mean, the machines look good, but if you get a crazy and unfortunately there's crazies out there that seem to think that they're going to pay you, you know, $1,500 for a Miss Pac-Man with original side art. And they want it to look like it just rolled out of the factory. And that's just not going to happen. It's still, I tell them, I said, look, the thing's still 35 years old. I said, it'll look nice, but unless I buy new side art and stick it on the side, I hate, I hate putting new side art on stuff. I really do. Um, yeah, and with Miss Pac-Man, you got to stencil it, or they do repros, but it's vinyl then, and you. That's right. So we came up with a system to repaint the original art, and it looks just like the factory. It's not a it's not a sticker or a decal. So, uh, but of course, you have to have a good starting unit. You can't have one that somebody scratched, uh, you know, you know, their high scores in the side. 
<laughs> you know, unless you can sand that down and, and repaint. But because Miss Pac-Man's a stencil, it's pretty easy. It's, it's, it's four colors, and it's pretty easy to do. Uh, easy in terms of the, the, the color issues, time-consuming. It takes Stephen five hours to repaint a Miss Pac-Man. What do you, so they were, you were originally selling Miss Pac-Mans for around three fifty. dollars said. So what do you get for a fully restored Miss Pac these days? Uh, if they want the artwork restored, they're seventeen ninety nine. I think that's a pretty good deal for a new machine. Well, I'll tell you what, it's I, I see them up on eBay and all these other places, and I don't think they're doing half the stuff we do with the electronics and for nineteen ninety nine. And these are with original power supplies and all, everything's original. Yes, in the Miss Pac Man, we use the original transformers on the bottom, and and, and because th- I know they they make a kit where you can put a switcher in, but the original system, I mean, you can rebuild the logic board. So it's like new and uh, monitor like new uh, fuse blocks on the bottom. You know, we take everything out of them. We wash them down and we clean them. Soap and water, believe it or not, we scrub all the boards with soap and water and then dry them out. Uh, you know, they, that's why the, the, the boards look nice and clean when we're done. I mean, spend a lot of time on each machine. It, it's, it's a process. But, you know, it's nice. We, we, we have a, a forever trade-back deal with our customers. We guarantee you at least half back in credit toward another purchase. That's a big selling point because uh, somebody who doesn't want to put it on Craigslist and have the Craig, what we call the Craigslist nutties uh, <laughs> coming over to their house. I'm going to come over today. Are you going to be there? <laughs> <laughs> they never show up. Uh, oh, my gosh. Everybody has, a, uh, has lots of Craigslist horror stories. But they don't want to deal with that. You know, I don't want any of those cretins in my house. That's what a lot of the people will tell me. And I say, well, here's your price. Here's your cash price. Here's your trading credit price. There you go. If not, put it on eBay and then have the guy keep it for a month and then tell eBay they want to return it and get all their money back. Have that happen once or twice. That'll end pretty quick. (laughs) Hey, Todd. So uh, I want to bring up your cabaret sale that you had. And I know that you've sort of talked about it kind of a roundabout way, but, you know, if you could just give us your like initial impression and then how you feel about it now and whether or not you feel like, you know what, maybe I should try to like repopulate. Well, uh, I had accumulated almost a hundred different cabaret arcade games, but I only had room in my game room at my, at my new house for about 40 of them. Hmm. So I had made another 10 that were done and wrapped uh, in my loft, and then the rest of them I never touched. I, I had them, but I never touched them, never got to them. So the opportunity came along where somebody wanted to buy all the games. As a matter of fact, I wished I, I ended up shopping it a little better because I had ended up several people who were interested in them. But uh, it made a nice deal with a guy, um, a really nice man named Mike, uh, in Michigan, and he bought them. Uh, he bought, I think, 48 of them, 47 or 48 of them. And then um, others have disappeared. I'm up to, I think, 66 now, done, gone. Uh, of, but So I still have a bunch of them in the loft that uh, have been promised to this one man, and he's buying them slowly but surely. But my output now is, is uh, we're so busy. I have, we have... We have a stack of sales, 
and restorations to do. I've never seen anything like it. And people are coming out of the woodwork. I'm getting emails and calls every day. We've now stopped. We tell people we won't even be able to look at the game until mid-March. Wow. And I, I can't keep up with this stuff. And uh, so we can only turn out so many games and, 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 you know, a day. You just Your turnout is slow. And pinball machines take a long time. And they got to go through four different hands, you know, electronics, body, paint, and play field. And it, it takes hours, just hours to do a machine. So is there... Is there a big uptick right now for the classic arcade game and, oh, and the classic? Know. I mean, is it up, up, or what? What are your thoughts compared to five years ago, even? Well, two thousand four was our best year. Interesting. It was our best year, and uh, things got really rotten about two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Uh, that we really dropped. Okay. But now we're not approaching two thousand four yet, mind you. Uh, 2016 was better than 2015, and that was better than 2014. Okay. So, uh, and right now, I've got, you know, I'd like to use this term, orders a go-go right now. (laughs) I've got, you know, this piles, we have them on clipboards. I said, one says this week, which we never get to them all. One says... Uh, right now it still says the end of January, which is over. And then the next clipboard says February. So now I can put the end of January into February. Can you share some of the titles you're restoring right now? Um, well, we're about to start on a twilight zone overhaul. Uh, I have a Rocky pinball overhaul, high speed. Uh, these are games people shipped us for overhaul. Uh, um, Oh, a, a judge dread, a demo man, uh, uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of uh, Tommy. Um, of course, I'm not counting the brand new games, which are uh, right now the big one is Batman, Stern's Batman. Beautiful piece. Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. Uh, but the. Um, which Batman uh, is that based on? Oh, that's the 66 one. Yeah, yeah. They call it Batman 66. We just finished a very rare Williams. I'm working on a video. It's actually going to be my first understanding pinball high def video since the Algar one I did in 2010, where I take real close-ups, uh, tripod filmed, uh, and details on exactly how the game plays. It's Williams time fantasy. They made 608 of them cool. in March of 83. And this one is beautiful. I had custom art made for the targets that will be available to purchase from classic Jeff at classic arcades. He created some beautiful target art for me and pop-up art that wasn't on the game. It was plain. It was plain. It really needed art. (laughs) So if anybody has a time fantasy, they'll be able to order the stuff right from him. We have a voicemail. I'm excited. It's it's from a previous guest. <gasps> Why doesn't uh, maybe we're not advertising our phone number enough? Because I get a lot of texts from people well, as uh, the show goes on. So I'm surprised we're not getting more. So if you want to ask a question, any of the listeners, just call us six one two five four eight game. That's four two six three. We have a, a listener call. Uh, somebody would like to. Uh, we'd like to play this voicemail back for you. Someone left a message, a question specifically hey. for you. So here we go. Uh, hey, Todd. This is Jen. And I was wondering, I got this blue 
mold in my living room and when people come over they just don't know what it is some people think it's a urinal some people think it's a tanning bed they just don't know what to think some people even think it's a trash can uh, i don't leave it plugged in much because i'm afraid the monitor is going to belch out of it but i was wondering if you would be interested in trading it for a year's worth of uh, tapioca pudding so just let me know you got my number that's jennifer may Oh, boy, do we have fun. If you guys want to see the video, it is a riot. It's uh, video uh, 1122. It's the Dura Mold um, Adventure with Jen May. Jen, uh, contact me. I got this Dura Mold, and it somebody put the worst kit on planet Earth into it. God, it was Data East's Diet Food, I think. It's this horrible game. <laughs> diet food? Diet food? That's I mean, a real game? Diet, diet, yes, it was diet food, I thought. It was <laughs> the stupidest title I've ever seen. And I got this in trade, and Jen was wants to restore it into a, into a real bubbles. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> and, but the good news is a lot of the stuff inside... Uh, was still there, the original, some of the original power supply, I think. And we show in the video what was still intact. It, it ended up at a supercade in Philadelphia. That was a chain of uh, arcades. They had done the conversion, and um, apparently they sold it to a doctor, a dentist, a dentist. And he had it in his office, and it failed. I guess the monitor went out. And when she talked about the belching, uh, the problem with the Dura molds is because it was this high-impact plastic case, when they had it in location, like in a store that had a big window, and it was in the window, the sunlight beating on this case caused the monitor to bulge out of the front of it because it was, it was, it, it was under all this pressure from the heat. Oh, wow. It, it was a disaster. That cabinet was a complete disaster. Is that where the rumors came that they launched out of the, the actual cabinet at some point? Well, they said it happened. They said they were bulging out. I don't think they were, you know, jumping on people, but I think they were just coming out of the fronts because I guess there was no other way for the air to escape these cabinets. I don't know, but I never saw it happen. I saw two bubbles in those cans down at Easter Music because they had to take two of everything, as I mentioned before. And the the bubbles, uh, I don't know who ended up with them, but they sold them, and that was the end of it. I will point this out. They were trying to sell Sinistar and Bubbles as a package, and I never forgot uh, Eastern Music. I went down there one time to pick up parts and look at some games, and they had all around the shop and the showrooms and the parts areas, they had these mobiles. Williams actually went to the money of making mobiles that had both bubbles and Sinistar spinning on them. You know, uh-huh. you know the title of the game, and they, they spent all this money to try to promote the game. So if you went to the parts county, you saw bubbles and Sinistar. Maybe I should buy a Sinistar for my route. You know, <laughs> and of course, bubbles and Sinistar were disastrous disastrous. Well, Sinistar was uh, a difficult game, a really difficult game. It was too difficult and and Eastern ended up as I said, I bought a couple for 200 bucks a piece and they were stuck with them and nobody, they, they got to a point where the stuff was worthless. It was just awful. Beware, coward. And that was towards the end of the, the bubble. Uh, Sinistar was, what, 83? 83, 84, yeah. It's a uh, 
it was. I guess you could almost say it was the it was the the end of a golden era, and uh, and nobody could figure out what was going to make money because once again, I was selling brand new Cinestar, two of them in uh, I guess August or September of '84. Hey, hey, Todd, was that like sort of a like what is going on moment, or did you sort of feel like the like the like the surf was you know settling down? I mean, how did you take that exactly? I got into the business to make money. Right. I liked the games. I thought it was great, but I wasn't. I, I wasn't. It wasn't like in my blood like it is in you guys and the listeners. I got. I became a collector. I can tell you exactly when I became a collector. In 1998, uh, when Tammy, my daughter, started to show a big interest in the games. And she loved the games. And we had them in my two-car garage. I had a detached two-car garage at my old house. And there was no heat, but it had electric. And I had games in the garage. And she loved to go out and play the games. She loved it. And so I started bringing more games home and I finally got to a point where my garage was full <laughs> and, but she loved playing there with all of her friends. And, and I said, boy, I, I, I gotta, I gotta get more games. And then I realized suddenly, wait a minute, I can get more games in here. If I put mini ones in or cabarets, hmm. <laughs> so I started looking for cabarets everywhere because I could fit, three cabarets easily in the space of two uprights and in some case four yeah so and then you could put them up back to back so i started that's when i became a collector and it was because of tammy because she loved the playing the games and she would spend hours and and you know wandering around with her little stool and, and carrying them from game to game and so daddy i'm gonna buy more games for you honey <laughs> so awesome. and, I did. That's what happened. I have a question for you, Todd. So the one that got away, let's hear it. Does he have any uh, titles that you can think of off the top of your head that you had and regret getting rid of? Or Yeah, a food fight cabaret. Oh, what? Oh, my God. It was like brand new. And a guy said, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not that fond of it. And I can't play it for it at all. So I dumped it. I sold it for 400 It was like, oh, boy. And I just bought a Food Fight Cabaret from Lloyd at Coinop Warehouse with no monitor bezel. But it does work. But I paid him $1,500 for it. Oh. I bought it about a year ago, right before I decided to sell my collection. Okay. And I bought it with the, in, you know, with the idea of adding it to my, you know, my game collection. You know, it's uh, it's kind of neat when you when you the, the one that got away. I guess you could say that. But of course, I never found another one. But it's funny the cabaret they're from Ireland. That's where they were made and shipped back over here, or maybe they never made it over there. I'm not sure how they it came about. But there's still a few out there. Uh, I did actually have the phone numbers of the people I sold them to. But the numbers have been long disconnected. I actually still have Rolodex cards with a lot of these old phone numbers, and, and I try to, you know, hustle some games. I was trying to find a Zarzan cabaret. I sold one. And then when I started collecting them, there was an old Tato game in a cabaret form, and I tried to call the people I sold the cabaret to, and they, they were long gone. 
So, you know, phone numbers die. I, I will tell you this. Phone numbers hang around longer than email addresses. Boy, people's email addresses change fast. <laughs> Spam. Yep. Or Yahoo gets hacked and on to Gmail. And out it goes. Mm-hmm. Tapioca. Oh, yeah. I should bring that up. Um, uh, if, if you watch my videos, uh, you know I'm big on diners. And um, almost all of my meals are eaten out. I rarely eat at home. Now, uh, it's just because I'm not home. I eat breakfast in the morning at Daddy Pop's Diner. And the Red Line Diner was on Jen's way home. She was going to the Turnpike. So I said, why don't you follow me? But then I'll go home from there. And we also met with Wayne Moore, another uh, collector friend of mine who's also worked for me. And we met at the, uh, we took her to the Red Lion Diner. It's in the video. <laughs> so watch the video. We do end up, and I said, uh, how about your, your dinner comes with dessert? She was fascinated with the diners, first of all. You know the difference? <laughs> first of all, here's something interesting that a lot of listeners don't. What is the difference? Let's see if you guys know. What is the difference between a restaurant and a diner? Anybody? Okay, oh, here, here, no. here's the difference. Let's hear it. A restaurant serves food, of course, uh, and they have a breakfast and they have a lunch and they have a dinner menu. And and you can get limited uh, entrees different times of the day. But a diner, depending on the hours they have, some, a lot of them are 24 hours, means you can walk into a diner at any hour of the day and get breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Oh. You can get anything at a diner because a diner is set up to serve you any meal you want, no matter what time of the day it is. So if you want breakfast at four in the afternoon, you can have it. But a lot of restaurants say, Oh, nope, the breakfast menu is over. Oh, the lunch menu is over. Nope. But a diner no, you can, you can do it at any time. So uh, a diner includes usually dessert when you get to dinner. And you know, she was given the choices and she said to me, what's tapioca? <laughs> I, did you see the movie Thoroughly Modern Millie? Oh, yes. <laughs> There's a whole song about tapioca. Yes. So, so she had it, and she loved it. Now, some people say it's, it's the pudding with the eyeballs, because if you look at it, it looks like there's little eyeballs on the, um, uh, on the uh, thing. But uh, it, it's, it's really neat. It was a really fascinating thing. Uh, tapioca is a quite a good pudding. If you, any of you can try it, I guarantee you will like it. Jen did like it. I, I'm hoping she's going to come back. Ta- Jen, if you're listening, you got to come back and have some more. <laughs> oh, she is listening. Yeah, she's she's listening. In fact, I think she may have left another message, but it's a prank call. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Do it up. <laughs> okay. Hello, this is Phyllis. I'm calling for Todd Ducky. Such a big fan, Todd. Such a big fan, but not as big as you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I love the interview. My question is, how are you so great? You know, you tell your men and, and the women who work for you how great you are. Tell us. Why and how are you so great? Well, thank you so much for playing my call, and I will see you soon, Todd. Bye-bye. <laughs> I well, had to scream that call. I know who that is. I, that's my daughter, Tammy. <laughs> started me out collecting, and she was playing the role of Phyllis from a... Um, a um, play, I think, gosh, was it Noises Off? Oh, God, Tammy, I don't remember the name of the play. But she played a, uh, a playwright, a crazy playwright, 
<laughs> and that was her voice and lines from it. And yes, if you watch my videos, I take my great pills every morning. <laughs> yes, I, you know, uh, people say, why are you so great? Now, I have taught everybody that comes in here. Even the UPS driver comes in. He brings me a box. As a matter of fact, it's funny when he comes in. You know, I, I said, you know, you are the greatest guy on earth. I said, you, you know, because he brings me all my parts. Yep. And, you know, I desperately need this guy to make the delivery. So I always take care of him at Christmas time. But the FedEx guy and the UPS guy, you know, are constantly in here. And I say to him, I said, why are you so great? And, of course, the first time they didn't know how to respond. But now they all say the same line. I took my great pills today. So now I want all your listeners to teach that to others. He said, when they say to you, why are you so great? And say, because I took my great pills today. <laughs> Power pellets. Oh, I guess it is. Actually, in the one video, my brother, who's now working for me while he's um, – um, uh, uh, slightly laid off. He's going back to work soon, but he's doing a lot of work here. And it's fun because I get to have breakfast with my brother every morning. And I work with him all day, but uh, he actually brought in a couple of his vitamin bottles and he wrote on one great pills on one you know, and uh, <laughs> terrific pills on the other. I hope, I hope that didn't bore too many people, but now you know the history of the great pills. Well, <laughs> yeah, so it was a fascinating call from our long time listener phyllis um <laughs> thank you phyllis <laughs> oh boy she's in her last year of college so she may end up working here at tnt until she gets a full-time job i care for a snack fellas uh no blanks i mean no thanks we're allergic to power pellets yeah we break out in eyes so todd if uh anyone's interested in buying a machine from you or has questions about restoration costs or wants to watch some of your videos how would they get a hold of you yes well the website uh, is is an easy way uh however uh you can't leave, you can't send pictures. Uh, there's a direct links right on the website, tntamusements.com. My email address, I, I hate to say it, it's an AOL account, but I've had this darn account since 1998 and it's in all my videos and everybody has it. So I keep the AOL account open. It's tntquality at aol.com. Excellent. That way you can send pictures to that site. And I, I look at the emails almost every day. I, I get 100 emails a day now, it's, and I, I try to filter through them um, and try to answer people as fast as I can. But you can leave a message or an email in either of those addresses. I can tell you right off the bat that typical restorations on a video game run between 600 and 1,200. It depends on the game. And it depends on whether we have to get side art. Sometimes the side art really adds cost to it, like with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. something like that that requires extensive work. Pinball machines, we now don't do any pinball machines for under 2,000. So and people are shocked. They say, oh, well, I'm not going to spend $2,000 on a restoration of a Gorgor. I said, okay, not a problem, but I'm not going to waste my time on it and spend, you know, 40 hours, 30 hours on it either. Unless we get, you know, paid for it with all the parts right. and labor. You have staff to pay for sure. So, Well, yeah, yeah. I'm sure somebody – see, remember, a lot of the hobbyists have a full-time job. They make a great income or they have a nice job someplace. They come home, have dinner, and they go out to the garage and, and work on a game. They may only be working for, you know, $8 an hour if they, in fact, you know – 
were, were to add up all the hours they spend on the game. But, uh, you know, if you love something, you, you, you put extra time and energy into it. I have to do, treat this as a business because uh, all my guys, every week they want to be paid. Every week I have medical uh, plan. I have to pay for that. We have a really good medical plan for the guys. I have a pension plan, a retirement fund. I, I found out that a lot of the distributors that were in Philadelphia, there were three of them actually, not one of them had a pension plan for their employees. Not one of them. And only uh, and some of them had a medical plan, but it was real limited. I was shocked that these guys were working and not getting coverage like that all those years. So what you're and, saying is um, you're a, a benevolent leader. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy, a lot of my guys are still with me. As a matter of fact, uh, Kurt, Kurt is in the oh, I just turned around. Look, Kurt's still here. It's eleven ten at night Eastern Time, and Kurt. Myself, of course, I'm on your show, and Frank are still here. They're still working. That's fantastic. So, uh, Kurt comes in later. If you watch our videos, we tend to have to call him up and wake him. <laughs> Kurt kind of wanders in 2 to 3 o'clock, but then he stays late, and he does a lot of our service. We service all those machines that we sell. And, uh, you know, even if it's years ago, we'll still go out and, and we guarantee service if we sold the machine. But I can tell you that uh, there is a big growing demand for service people of arcade games and jukeboxes. If somebody out there really, like, say, loves old jukeboxes uh, and they can figure out how to fix them and then how to source parts, you could actually make a great living at doing it. There's a local man named Tom that fixes jukeboxes. He quit. He actually told me this five years ago. He quit his full-time job. I was sending him so many people. Then he, all he does now full-time is fix classic jukeboxes. He drives around in the three-state area and does service calls, uh, I think within a 100-mile radius. And he's booked solid. And just and for the listeners, where is the three? What is the three-state area, and where is TNT Amusements located? We're in Southampton. We're above Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, we have people that do they, they do weekend trips here because we're near Sesame Place. We're near Historic Philly, which is crammed with great things to do. We're also near in Historic Bucks County. We're we're 20 minutes away from Washington's Crossing, where George Washington crossed the Delaware. They have a big museum there. Uh, we're near the um, uh, the Mercer Mansion. Uh, Mr. Mercer was afraid of fire. Built his house, uh, his mansion, out of concrete including the furniture. Uh, we have all these day trips you can take. And frequently, a lot of my customers will order a game and they'll drive out with the family on Friday. They'll check in with me, play some games at TNT. Then they'll spend all day Saturday. Uh, at They may go to Sesame Place. They may go down to Philly. And then Sunday, they'll do something. Then Monday, they'll stop back at TNT, pick up their game and leave. <laughs> <laughs> they make a kind of weekend trip for the family. Like that, weekend. Happens, that happens more and more often than it is, especially in the summer when the kids can uh, take off an extra day from school or something. Uh, but we have other customers that just come down themselves, uh, pick up the game, and then uh, drop or drop the game off for restoration. We have one fellow that, that every time he comes, he, bring, he picks up the game we finished and he drops another one off. You know, he kind of 
keep them on the move. Now, the requirement is if you come here, you got to bring something with you, a dozen donuts, a pound of coffee, <laughs> and then and we'll share too, of course, you know, but a lot of my visitors come, uh, I've had a, one fella came from France and we had a lot of fun with them in the green screen room. You know, I sent him back to France, actually, you know, back to the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> he loved that, of course. <laughs> And it was it was kind of fun. We do we we try to clown around with anybody that does come and if they want to be on video. Today we did a video put up. I'll tell people that we put up Oregon Basement video number ten, um, a way of you buying a game. I think pretty cheap. And uh, today uh, we had our first uh, sale. A guy came here and bought the Crystal Castles, a beautiful Crystal Castles for five hundred, and they. Um, wow. VS Slalom Nintendo kit, a factory kit, still in the box for three hundred, including cool. the chips. So he was quite thrilled. Have to and, get out there. Yeah, that worked out very nice. And uh, uh, somebody just ordered the. Uh, let's see, I have an Arch Rivals dedicated. I never saw one before, but a dedicated Arch Rivals. He picked that up. Or tomorrow, he's going to. We're delivering it tomorrow. We will deliver it too if it's local. Oh, we have a we have a one more listener question um, from the chat. Oh, I see it, David. Yeah, David L says, "How did uh, how did you discover the theme song for uh, Living Is Good?" <laughs> Back in '78, I used to get these record compilations. Warner Brothers sent out this like three album set with all the songs that they were releasing that they thought would be hits or weren't hits yet or whatever. And Wendy Waldman's Living Is Good was on that album, that 33 RPM album was one of the cuts from it. And I just took a big liking to it. And then I ended up using it. I liked it so much I had to come up with a dance. So I came up with the Living Is Good dance <laughs> that one of my, it was in my original uh, 2000, let's see, the 2000 infomercial an hour-long show and one of my customers one of my fans re and his son recreated that and it's in one of my videos the living so he actually copied it move for move i couldn't believe i was, <laughs> well, that's dedication to figure this dance out it was it was you know, of course it was silly at the time you know back then on broadcast tv I was on seven days a week from midnight to 1 a.m. From 1995, uh, I ran it continuously. It was a Comcast uh, network, and I ran it continuously for almost 12 years for one hour every night. And uh, everybody knew me. As a matter of fact, that show got me into the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia. And believe it or not, I'm... Uh, I don't know if anybody heard of Captain Noah or uh, Gene London or Pixan, uh, Wee Willie Weber. These people were all broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia. Now I'm a member of it. They asked me to be in it. And you know why? Because that infomercial, that 30-minute infomercial I first started airing, was, the, was regarded as the lowest budget um, <laughs> infomercial. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, uh, ever produced that people were actually watching and became like a, 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 a watch. We used to have fraternities that would tune it in at almost every night at midnight. We ran it twice. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, I'm talking too much. That's why the, the, the uh, voice is getting a little scratchy. But the, uh, 
the um, uh, it was an, uh, quite an honor to be a member of that. And um, they have my DVDs. I provided them with DVDs for the uh, archives uh, of the show. I'm still running on broadcast TV. I'm running a show called, um, oh, gosh, what's the title of it? Um, right out of my head. I'd have to click on my uh, menu. I made four episodes of a half-hour show that I try to run uh, about like every other day. And um, it's a compilation of some of the YouTube videos, but I'm trying to introduce arcade games to people who may not stumble across my YouTube channel. Oh, that's a good idea. So I'm still running uh, actively on TV, but you know, you have to pay for TV. YouTube is free. So, you know, that's, uh, and I gosh, at my high point, I was spending uh, $90,000 a year on TV advertising. Wow. Mm. So that was my high point. I think last year I spent uh, uh, 5000 So. <laughs> nice. So I really, I've changed and YouTube is, I reach more people on YouTube. I really do. I'm over 15,000 subscribers. I think I'm approaching 16 now, 16,000. That's amazing. So it's good. It's a good thing. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for your, uh, your faithful listeners, Phyllis, Jen, for your view, your YouTube viewers, the people that are, that are bringing you these games. Do you have any parting words of wisdom from TNT amusements? Uh, keep absolutely keep collecting arcade classic games are here to stay forever amen brother years ago years ago i predicted the flat rate arcade i really did i said people will want to pay a and i pioneered it of course here at tnt i've run over twenty five thousand parties here wow in 30 years, I've had over 25,000 birthday parties, reunions, gatherings, uh, mystery parties. Two, and most of them were two-hour format. I, we've served thousands and thousands of pizzas. <laughs> uh, I love pizza. And, and, and they're only $5. They're still the same price. 30 years ago, wow. we were selling pizzas for 5 bucks, and they're still 5 bucks. You may want to consider raising your price. <laughs> nope. I think so, nope. too. That's my, that's my point. I keep the prices low. It's a draw. The cheapest place in America you can have a private arcade party. Uh, that is true for 15 or more people, that is. Uh, and uh, I got picked best of Philly last year for adult parties. Cool. Uh, adult parties that they they have fun. I don't allow alcohol, but you can have a lot of fun without it. Yeah. So um, it's it's nice. And and you know what? People st- the watching them smile and laugh and have fun with Pac Man, uh, checks hockey, uh, classic pinballs. Uh, today a guy told me he couldn't believe it. I had a Sinbad in the showroom. Somebody actually just bought it yesterday, but it's still in the showroom. And he said, man, this brought back so many memories. That's an EM, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. When people play stuff and it brings back something that happened that was really good in the past. And now these young kids are getting exposed to games like Star Wars, the 1983 Star Wars. And, and, uh, you know, other classic games like Galaga and Spy Hunter. And and they're great. The stuff is timeless. 
and and you know it's that's what I'm in. I'm still in the eighties, I guess. <laughs> I'm with you. There might be a few people in this room that are. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, uh, Todd. It's been an absolute honor having you on the show. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the, the, the comments. I appreciate it. And of course my daughter, Phyllis, <laughs> I, see you, Tammy. I, she, I figured she was up, you know, Tammy had a radio show and I used to call into her show. So now <laughs> she used to call in. So I really appreciate all the support I've gotten over the years from the, the clovers, the Kalo V forums, uh, the pinsiders, Everybody has been so supportive. There's always a few people that uh, I'm never going to make happy, but the majority, 99% of the people seem to like me, especially at the shows. And when I, you know, it's kind of neat to have these people come up to you that, that only you've never seen, but they see you and they know who you are and they know what you eat and they know what <laughs> newspaper you read and what music you listen because of all the videos, you know, and it's, it's kind of nice. Any parting words, guys? Um, I just want to say that uh, I really appreciate him being on again. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been an excellent experience. So thank you so much. Yeah, Todd, I have a, a house I own in Northern Liberties. I'm going to turn it into an arcade Airbnb. I would like you to be the first guest. You know what? I will be happy to. One man said he has a, an apartment in Paris. I can come and stay there. Another, and, and with my family, another man uh, offered me to uh, <laughs> come out to Italy. And he said I, he, I can stay with him there at his house and he'll show me the neighborhood and the local arcades. And uh, you know what? It's kind of neat to know I have friends all over the world. I'm going to put these people to test though. <laughs> yeah. We decide to travel. <laughs> well, if you come to Minnesota, we'll take you to the uptown diner, which is a fabulous place. And we'll also take you to Mickey's. You got to go to Mickey's. Yep. Adam you know has a I'm really gonna... nice uh, closet as well that you can check. Out. <laughs> no, <laughs> No, joking. joking. Storage unit. I want, I'd like to show you my storage unit. I'll sleep anywhere. <laughs> we'll put you I up. I'll sleep standing up, it seems. <laughs> well, thanks again for being on the show. Um, th- thanks for everybody listening in tonight. Uh, Double R's, that's Arcade Radio. Please join us at any time at the arcaderadio.com website. You can email us at react at arcaderadio.com follow us on twitter at arcade radio and we're on itunes soundcloud and google play again everybody thanks for listening it was a pleasure to have you on the show todd we look forward to having you again as a guest in the future yeah i had fun i had a lot of fun thanks everybody for listening to this is the part on the show where we dance this is the part where i take my pants off no pants (laughs) now is the time on sprockets when we dance I think it's so good. It's my favorite part of the show is when they get a little Easter egg at the end if they listen past the the credits, right? Hey, Tammy wants to know what that song is that we play at the end. Oh, <laughs> that that song is uh, that's something that I I produced. Yep. Oh, it's a Mr. Musician over there. No, oh. it's you know, um, I just.
I just looked at Tammy's comment and she said, I did tell him the story about, you're not going to make any money off of me. <laughs> <laughs>